Welcome to The Resilient Surgeon, part of the STS Surgical Hot Topics podcast. Our goal with the Resilient Surgeon series is to inspire our colleagues to be their best selves in and out of the operating room using scientifically proven tools and recovery strategies of the world's top performers. I'm Dr. Michael Mattis, and in each episode, I will talk to game changers who will share evidence-based practices, real-world strategies, and their own personal stories and experiences to help you build your resilience and to help you be your best self no matter what. Our guest today on The Resilient Surgeon is Zach Weeder, the CEO of Principles U. And the topic is our personalities and how they shape our lives and how knowing our personalities and what makes us tick can dramatically guide us to a path of fulfillment and to a better understanding of others in our orbits that is so crucial for real collaboration and teamwork, both at work and at home. Zach co-founded Principles U with Ray Dalio, the founder and previous CEO of Bridgewater Associates, one of the largest and most successful hedge funds in the world. While Ray Dalio was the CEO of Bridgewater, he led the development of an incredibly unique culture that was based on providing meaningful relationships and meaningful work for his employees. And a crucial part of his success in this endeavor was using personality tests with all of his employees, which had a powerful impact on their ability to create meaningful relationships and connection, and on their ability to leverage people's strengths in a more intentional and deliberate way for the benefit of the enterprise. As a result of this profoundly positive experience at Bridgewater, Ray Dalio founded Principles U to bring the power of personality assessments to all individuals and to other organizations free of charge. And our guest today, Zach Weeder, the CEO of Principles U, is a graduate of Princeton, where he received his Bachelor of Arts in Comparative Literature. Since graduating, Zach worked in several startups before, before joining Bridgewater, where, for the last 10 years, he had direct oversight of people and culture at the firm. Throughout those 10 years, Zach has coached over 1,000 employees, as well as advised executive teams at multiple startups and Fortune 500 companies in order to help them achieve their performance and culture goals. To create the Principles U assessment, Zach and Ray joined forces with Dr. Brian Lill, who was previously on this podcast and who is one of the world's best-known personality experts, and Adam Grant, the famous organizational psychologist, to develop a much more practically useful and scientifically robust personality test based on the Big Five personality test, the most scientifically validated test currently available. Unlike other personality tests, which are either too simplistic or too complicated and hard to interpret, the Principles U assessment is an incredibly useful and practical tool to help you understand yourself and others in a way that can guide your future choices and decisions in life. In my work with other surgeons, self-awareness is a crucial first step in the ability to know who you are and what makes you tick. And it provides the compass for making life choices that are rooted in your values, preferences, and priorities. And the Principles U personality assessment is one of the most robust methods to bring greater and actionable self-awareness to your world. And now I bring you Zach Weeder. Well, Zach, welcome to The Resilient Surgeon. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Total pleasure to be here with you, Mike. Okay. Uh, you know, I'd love to start if you could just kind of give us uh, an overview of your trajectory uh, in your career and how you came to be the CEO of Principles uh, U. Uh, yeah. 
So um, interestingly, by way of background, I, I actually was, I studied in college literature, jazz performance, actually translation studies, linguistics, a variety of different disciplines. Um, and after college, I went to Europe um, to study stage acting in France. And so, and then the next year I was um, a management associate at the largest hedge fund in the world. So people say, oh, how did that happen, right? And really it's more logical than, um, than it sounds. I really was always interested in, I was a generalist and I was always interested in um, how in different kinds of problems and, and different kinds of contexts that pushed my thinking and capability essentially. So I always wanted to be with the best people I possibly could. I, I never liked being the best person in a, in a particular room. I always liked to be challenged by other people I felt were smarter than me. And I was very much more interested in how things worked, how to, how to approach problems, people um, in new and productive ways rather than any specific discipline, right? And so yeah. um, I had friends who worked at Bridgewater. They said, Zach, we think you'll love it. We think you'll love it philosophically. So I joined Bridgewater and I really did love it. And, and, and early on, I was hired onto Ray's team and he was, Ray Daly was the founder of Bridgewater. And he was in the early phase of his transition out of the management of the company at that time, which is a notoriously difficult time in the life of a company. Most companies fail when their founders transition. So the conversation was, how do we keep Bridgewater successful? What are the reasons Bridgewater is successful in the first place beyond any one person? And that was a very interesting problem to me. Um, and it was a very interesting context so early in my career to be, yeah. you know, engaged with some of the smartest people in the world about that problem. And yeah. so I just found it a total adventure, a real ride. And I clicked with Raywell. I loved the culture. Um, and that was really the beginning of that, uh, that part of my journey through, throughout that, um, throughout that period, we began establishing, okay. What really made Bridgewater successful was it this way of approaching problems, this way of approaching development of people to be most successful. And then that specifically became a real um, motivating area of inquiry for me. For you. Um, yeah. For me yeah. personally. Yeah. Um, interestingly, my mother is a clinical psychologist. My father is a neurologist. Everybody asked me when I was young, do you, are you going to do anything like they do? I said, no, 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 never, never, never. And now I do organizational psychology. I work yeah, you're, you're an organizational psychologist. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. It ended up coming full circle, but it was really out of a practical, practical engagement with how to run an organization and how to develop people in that context. Now, you mentioned something in the beginning that I think is very germane to the conversation at hand and to our listeners in the context of why you're on the podcast. And you said, uh, in a, now I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it didn't matter where you applied this, you could apply this about yourself in any context. And in a way that's a meta level sort of thing, you know, like I love creating systems and dissecting complex knowledge and making it simple. I mean, that, and I can apply that to all sorts of things. Uh, it, is that what you're talking about here is kind exactly. of underlying tendency? Exactly, exactly. And so what was, um, what was really interesting to me, what, 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 what really um, kind of stimulated me both intellectually as well as practically was the idea of, okay, how can I learn, how can I learn 
the right principles? How can I learn effective decision-making principles, effective ways of interacting with people that I work with, effective ways of reflecting on myself to be most effective, to apply mm -hmm. myself most effectively? How can I learn those things that I can, that I can bring um, beyond any one discipline, uh, beyond any one discipline, and apply broadly to multiple circumstances. Like I think all the time, I'm just a new parent as an example. Mm -hmm. and so I think all the time, what have I learned about um, thinking in this way, thinking in a principled way, thinking in a way that allows me to say, okay, how can I be the most effective parent, right? And some of that will be you know, new, but actually many people like you, Michael, you're a mm -hmm. parent, okay? You, we just talked yesterday, you were giving mm -hmm perspective on being on how you've approached learning to be a great parent. And so I'll go on that journey myself, but what's really most interesting to me is, okay, how do I, how do I utilize um, learning of others like you for myself, as well as share that learning with others that I, that I can, that's really motivating for me. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how did that play out in the drama world and acting and stages of that? I mean, how, how did that manifest? Because this is really, I think, a, the crux of what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. So, so interesting. Um, couple ways in which I, I think about being doing stage acting, being being on stage and and being being a performer um, that have a relationship. One is one was simply that. I wanted to be around the best. I, I, I ended up being able to, to, to enter a context in which I was with really excellent, excellent practitioners of the theater. And so it, that was really, that pushed me, pushed my own capability a lot. And so I find as a principal, I, I'm motivated by learning and rapid growth. I want to figure out how can I grow most rapidly in anything that's actually important to me. And so as a principal, putting myself in context where I'm with the smartest people that I can possibly do that with is a that's a generally good principle for that kind of yeah thing. it's something you enjoy you something enjoy. I enjoy right yeah exactly. second secondly um, one thing that was interesting about the theater was it requires you to be in the moment while also stepping above yourself right so you're constantly engaged at, at, in acting in a play as an example but you're also Kind of, we call it the two use actually. You're stepping above yourself to, to to perceive how the action is unfolding, how how the how the how the um, staging is working, how even mistakes that occur in the um, in the theater, which are constant. How do I react, improvise relative to those mistakes? And so that kind of process, that way of thinking, is something that I bring into a lot of what I do today. That sounds like fun, actually. I'd like to give it a shot. Yeah, I trained in public speaking with a place called Heroic Public Speaking, and I got a taste of that that you're talking about because they were former actors that run this program, and it's all about, you know, the audience and the situation and all that. So I yeah. can totally see where you're coming from on that. Right. Now, I think it's important to know a little bit about Ray Dalio and his background and why is Ray Dalio one of the wealthiest guys on the planet and one of the most successful hedge fund managers, Bridgewater? Why is he into this stuff? The, princip the principles you and personality tests. Yep. And so, um, so, so great. So I'll speak a little bit about Ray. Um, Ray is an interesting guy because he was, he from an early age was interested in in investing. He loved the game. But 
Um, he could have been an independent investor, and that would have taken him a certain, you know, a certain um, trajectory in his life. But what he was really after was something much deeper. What really motivated him was was he loved that game, but he really wanted meaningful work and meaningful relationships. And he wanted certain kinds of relationships, deep relationships, long-term relationships. He had an ethic where he wanted to, those were based on um, being able to be truthful, honest with with the people that he was working with. And so he, so that became kind of a guiding light for him is the idea of, okay, how can I have the relationships I want and the work that I want with the people that I love doing it with from the beginning of Bridgewater? Then, you know, call it a decade in, Ray had a major failure, major failure, almost basically lost the whole company. Talks about this publicly, he had to borrow $4,000 from his dad. He got the timing of a, of a market call wrong and he realized um, he needed to move from thinking he knew the answer to, to, to systematically moving from, I know I'm right, or I know what I'm, what I, what I, what, what, what the right decision is to how do I ask himself, how do I know I'm right? Mm -hmm. And that was really the impetus to create a company that systematically asked that question, essentially, how do you do that? Well, it's really was based in culture. How do I create a culture of people who are ambitious, have ambitious goals, the same, want to go after the same meaningful work, be on a mission together, um, while also are independent thinking, willing to stress test each other, debate in, a, in, in pursuit of truth. Okay, what conditions do you have to have to create a culture of people willing to do that to get to the right answer? And that really began kind of the trajectory of Bridgewater's success and Bridgewater's culture, which which ended up being a culture of how do we systematically learn through failure, learn through our lack of understanding to create better and better understanding over time. And that I think Ray would describe as what gave Bridgewater an edge, not any one person, not any one trade. It was the ability to systematically learn and implement that learning um, to improve over time. Yeah, and you know, you know it, now I'm struck by, you know, there's a very similar I would say general ethos in surgery and cardiothoracic surgery about finding why don't you know the right answer or how did we make mistakes, all right? right. But it's not as formalized as I think it was at, at Bridgewater. How did they, for, you know, and I, I recommend highly to everyone listening to watch Ray's TED talk on, on this topic. It's really quite dramatic and his, the big epic failure is it, it'll, it'll make you want to turn it off because it's so, it's a big one, um, but uh, it goes through the process there. But I, I understand he used personality tests and radical yeah. transparency. Can you, I, obviously without going into too much detail, but what personality tests did he use? How did he, how did those play out in the, in the culture of Bridgewater? You know, you have an operational understanding of all that. Yeah. And so the first, the first kind of foundation here is really understand what's true, understanding reality in the most accurate way possible. And it's never perfect, okay? So that was kind of the basis. So there were a lot of ways we implemented it that at Bridgewater, we had big feedback culture. We always tried to examine where we might be wrong. We had established metrics, um, trying to as objectively as possible to say, okay, where are things going as we expected? Where are things not going as we expected? But one of the most important realities or, about an organization, an organization is essentially a system and the core element of that system is the people, people. and how they interact, yeah. right? 
-hmm. And so personality tools became evidence-based ways of understanding what the people are like, which is a core element of understanding how the organization is likely to work, what people's tendencies are, how they're likely to interact with each other, how they can use that understanding to interact in more productive ways to get at their shared goals. And so it was really, that was the foundation. Um, that was the foundation of the use of personality assessment. And again, in the context of really just the desire to understand what are the important truths that are key to our success. If you're in any team, we talk about this in sports all the time, right? In high performance teams, in, in other disciplines, like, like in, in, in a basketball team, you want to under, how could you possibly be successful if you don't understand, okay, who is the person who's most inclined to shoot from deep? Who's the person who's most inclined to occupy the lane, et cetera? So it was really, that was the basis of our using, um, our aspiration to use evidence-based tools to gain that understanding of people and then use it as a foundation for their development. Yeah, I remember reading, I can't remember, maybe it was in Brian Little's book about the basketball team where the coach very unsuccessfully tried to recruit all great shots and they spent a lot of money doing it and it failed miserably. I think after 13 straight losses or something, uh, you know, they gave up on that project. Yeah, yeah. Highlighting the importance of diversity of personalities and, and perspectives in the success of a team. And I think that's one of the key notions that I hope the viewer, our listeners will get, get from our conversation today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, and, and it's the thing that um, one of the propositions, again, go back to Bridgewater, but be, beyond to be this, this assessment work that we do with other companies is the notion that anyone, you, there's so much more to see than you're, you can see yourself. There's mm. so much more out there than you can see through your eyes. Even if your perspective is a particular perspective that has a lot of value relative to others' perspectives. And so to actually, when you're actually looking at, okay, how do we operate as a team? It's, you're in, it's incumbent on us to say, okay, what are the other ways of seeing? And then how do we maximize our collective mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to work mm -hmm. this together? Um, and so that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's a powerful situation. Right. <clears throat> Um, and then what personality tests have been used at, at Bridgewater uh, over the course and how has that evolved, if at all? Yeah, so at, at Bridgewater, um, at the time, we used a variety of assessments. Uh, we, we used at a certain time, Myers-Briggs, which we moved past, obviously, um, one called Workplace Personality Inventory. What we found was that, well, they, they, there was a, a range of validity of those. And so we did an examination of those once we learned more about kind of the personality assessment space. I could talk about that a little bit, but mm -hmm. also that we couldn't get as much as we wanted from any one instrument. And that's one of the reasons why we built our own. Um, we wanted to bring the best of what was out there to bear against our, our um, updated research, which we conducted both with the psychologists we work with, and also based on our experience running organizations and what we mm -hmm. was important in an organizational context. We, of course, tested that empirically in the context of building our assessment, but that was an important element too. And I think one thing that differentiates our, this assessment is it, it comes that a lot of the thinking and development is based on people who actually ran organizations and use these instruments in an organizational context. And not just academics. Not just academics, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, just for con contextual background, it's useful for people to know how why Ray decided to start the Principles U company. Right? Yeah. 
uh, with all of that experience that he's had. And maybe you could tell us about that. Fast forward in this transition, Ray- um, At Bridgewater that you were talking yeah, about. This, fast yeah. forward in this transition at Bridgewater, we're at the now towards the end of his transition. And Ray is in a phase of his life where he's fought many of the battles that he's gonna fight. He's built his business and he's learned a lot through that process. And um, as many people do in that phase of life, he, his impulse was, okay, now it's appropriate for me to share what I've learned to the extent it's helpful to others. It wasn't presumptuous. It wasn't, he didn't presume that it would be. He just decided, okay, it's actually would be gratifying for me and I think helpful to others if I shared some of my key learnings. It ended up being helpful to others. And so we just, we, we then began thinking about, okay, how do we spin out this new venture um, to deliver some of these tools and um, principles that we'd spent a lot of time building out um, to other organizations? And not exactly in the way that we did them at Bridgewater, because that was a specific culture, but preserving some of these core concepts we've already been discussing, preserving the idea that self-awareness, really understanding deeply what you and others are like can be a critical foundation of effective relationships and effective collaboration mm -hmm. um, in and outside the workplace, by the way. Yes, everywhere. Um, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other elements that we, we talk about, which is that uh, how transparency, how openness of more open communication uh, can create a better culture, healthier culture in a team and how we can communicate more openly, more honestly with each other, et cetera. So things like that. And that was really what set us off to um, build this organization. And one, some of what we do, Ray has done almost as a gift to the world. So as an example, right. Principles right. U, which we invested a lot in and invested both time and financial resources he invested a lot in, he wanted to have at least one product out there without any cost bearer that was comparable to very, very expensive, high quality assessment products mm -hmm. in the market. He wanted to be able to provide that for others because he he had found it so impactful for him and the, the people he worked with. So right. that was one thing. But then he also, as somebody who built a business himself, um, know, knows and believes that the viability of an enterprise is often, you know, can it be viable economically? Will mm -hmm. people pay for it? If, okay, if it's valuable, will people pay for it? And so there's we have a business side as well, particularly focused on organizations. It's a tool called our tool called Principles Us. And that's actually a for-profit business. So there are two elements of what we do. A lot of what Ray wants to do is gift to the world. And there's a lot that's been done along those lines. And then by extension, we're also building a business that we're trying to make sustainable through really providing value to um, customers and organizations. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, I just want to note that the Principles U personality assessment, you can just go to principlesu.com and it's a free assessment. You can take it. Anyone can take it for free. It's, uh, right. So it's available to anybody. Well, so then uh, in the genesis of Principles U, I know that you all teamed up with Brian Little, uh, Mr. Personality. And I say that from an academic standpoint, not him, but he is a personality in addition. Yeah. And, and then uh, Adam Grant, uh, who I suspect many of our listeners may be aware of, but maybe you could talk about those relationships and, and in particular how you know, I, I believe you've created this incredible product uh, and it's so robust and it has such credibility because of the input of these individuals and and that. So just the, it'd be good to get a flavor of the background. And, and then also, and this is a bigger question, you know, sorry, it's so long, but, you know, the big five personality tests. Now, I took that test uh, multiple years ago and it was interesting. 
but I didn't know how to like make it actionable uh, for me. And that was a big challenge. So, and I know that Principles U is sort of based on the big five personality tests. So there's a lot in that question, but if you could kind of give us the arc of, of that entire, you know, arrangement, that'd be great. Sure, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, so, so we had known Adam and Brian for a long time. Actually, Ray's son, one of Ray's sons went to Harvard and took a class with Brian, and that's where Ray met Brian. And oh, wow, I love these kids. kinds of things. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, Adam <laughs> met Brian at Harvard as well. Adam was Brian's student, and Brian- That's right. Um, yeah. Brian inspired Adam to become a psychologist, actually. And wow. so Adam ended up being an organizational psychologist. But there's, so there's a lot of connection here. Yeah. We had known, we'd had these relationships for some time. Adam actually came back into view Bridgewater when he wrote his book, Originals, and actually did a chapter on Bridgewater. We worked with him um, to, to give him some primary material to actually study some of what we were doing at Bridgewater as an academic, as a, as a researcher. So we had a relationship. And then as one of Ray and our principles has always been is when we try to do something, we want to get the best people we can possibly get, the most believable, sometimes we say, mm -hmm. um, in, engaged. And they were really the most believable people we do. We had the luxury at that point of, I think, actually having access to the most believable people in the world on those things. Yeah, but we can yeah I agree. Yeah. Um, but they really were. And so we felt very fortunate. And they also happened to be really interested in this project. For a couple of reasons, I think one is they saw that in the personality space, there was a variety of instruments and many of the popular instruments, really instruments that people use like Myers-Briggs, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. others that you, you may know were very popular for a good reason. They were practical. They told a compelling self-discovery narrative, but they actually had questionable validity, meaning they weren't research-based. They didn't have an empirical basis for the, 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 the conclusions they were making about people. Then there were a lot of academic tools that were highly robust, meaning they told you a lot of meaningful things about people that actually predicted important outcomes in their work and life, but right. very hard to use, very technical, not very compelling. And so the they were really interested knowing how valuable these insights can be to people, particularly in a developmental context. They were very interested in this endeavor as well, essentially to try to do the best of both worlds. Can we create mm -hmm. an assessment that tells a compelling self-discovery narrative and ultimately interpersonal and team discovery narrative right. while also being as, or, as good or better than the most robust instruments psychometrically, which we mean by that is the science of measuring um, psychological traits. Um, at or, or better than the most robust instruments out there. And so that's what we, we tried to do. They were very interested in that. They were also really interested in um, building a tool for the purpose of, that was comprehensive and also for the purpose of development. So personality tools are used in a lot of different ways. And while, of course, ours can be used in a, for candidates and in a selection context, we all had this, um, philosophically were aligned on the idea of the best use of these tools is really in a developmental context. And then long-term, we're actually still creating more tools. So um, Brian is a pioneer of a construct in the, in the applied psychology called personal projects analysis. It's really a way of measuring. We, we now measure your traits. That's what Principles U does. But we can actually measure your relationship to the things you're doing. 
how meaningful the things you're doing are, how manageable, et cetera. And when we have both of those constructs, we really have a much more complete picture of a person. And so both Adam and Brian, who had studied this in the applied psychology for a long time, but doesn't exist in a product, were very, very interested in mm -hmm. kind of this long-term pursuit of a better platform, a better ecosystem of tools that told a much richer story about people about the, the individuals that participated. And so that's really what motivated them and what kind of got them on board with this long-term vision. Well, it's a dream team. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is a dream team. Yeah. And, um, and you, yeah. you, you say development, you, and just to be clear, you mean personal development. Personal yeah. development. Yeah, personal I mean, development. I mean, in yeah. personal development, I mean that in a, people say, okay, what is personal development? The simplest way I can describe it is enhancing one's well-being and effectiveness in, in in their work and life essentially that's really our goal is can, can we create tools that that enable people to enhance their well-being and their effectiveness in pursuing the things that are most important to them it was a dream team and by the way they argued a lot they debated a lot i bet which is I, good <laughs> I, I was in that i was in that team too you know and i would yeah the dream part of that team but i i was you know i I tried to hold my own at various times and I learned a lot through the process. I was actually the product manager on the assessment at the time. And it was just an amazing, it was really, we have this principle of one plus one equals three. And it was the definition of that, you know, taking Ray and Adam and yeah, 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 yeah. And the combination of their work together. Uh, it was better, I think, it be, the output was, the result was better than any one of them. Could yeah, yeah, of course. Tell. Yeah. That's yeah. just wonderful. How fun it must have been to be a part of that. Yeah. You know, you, get, you could see a little bit if you, I have their personality assessments, which I obviously won't share here, but you could see, you know, how they, you could yeah, yeah. how they would interact with that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how cool. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, so you, you know, you alluded to the big five and I mentioned at the beginning that I took the big five personally, but I actually, <laughs> I, it was so difficult because I had to call out phrases. Mm -hmm. And and then I made a timeline in my life and I tried to understand how, you know, these phrases and the, the scores or the percentiles impacted my life. And it was shocking right. uh, how much it played out uh, in my life. But I think I'd, I'd love to have you cover basically the, the basics of Big Five, uh, the ocean concept and, and what are traits? You know, we talk about traits a lot, uh, but what do those mean specifically in the context of a personality? And then, you know, transition us into principles you and relative to the big five yeah great and so um so the big five is the the most broadly accepted framework for personality um in in among psychologists and so it's not it's an assess you can assess the big five but it's actually a personality framework it's five traits and the reason it's and it's extremely robust it's essentially the gold standard framework in psychology the per psychology of personality and the reason is because it actually can be shown to explain most of the personality variance most of the difference um globally and across time okay and so for generations for hundreds of years people have been interested in understanding people there have been different frameworks many different frameworks over time and some that have made sense intuitively, and actually you can see a reflection for in what the big five we know today, because they're logical things that people perceive about each other. Is somebody more social? Does somebody prefer less social experience? So those have existed for a long time. In the last 50 to 100 years, call it, we've now been able to measure 
these traits and see how they occur across cultures, across and across time, systematically, more systematically. And, and that's what you and meant by globally. globally. That's what I meant by globally. I literally cultures. mean across, yeah, yeah across <laughs> all cultures. It holds across all cultures. It's applicable to across all cultures. I'm sorry, it's applicable to all cultures. So, um, so that's the big five. And for psychologists, that's plenty. In fact, it's a huge achievement to say, okay, we have these five traits that really determine most of um, the personality insight we need to understand about, about people. And actually, you can ask many, many, many behavioral questions of people, even, even create your own, and you'll see the big five emerge empirically because it's so robust in how it differentiates people in terms of their orientation towards their work, towards their life, towards the things that they actually, how they approach the context they find themselves in. So that's big five. And a couple uh, limitations of big five is that some people, while big five is incredibly meaningful in terms of how it interacts with the things we do, our behavior and, and, and the outcomes in our lives, it's, it's not always so practical. It's not always a tool that people find that they can use to actually say, okay, well, what do I do about this understanding? Exactly. Context, exactly. Right? Yeah. So that's one thing. Also, when we move psych for psychologists who are looking at kind of an aggregate population and how to explain the trends in the aggregate population, that's enough. But as coaches, to use it in a developmental context, there are actually potentially other nuances that can help us understand people that are, um, that are beyond just explaining kind of what is true of most people across most cultures and populations, mm -hmm. right? And so that's a little bit where we took off of the Big Five and Principles U. And we have other constructs that we've found both through managing organizations, as well as even through Adam and Brian's research over time, uh, that are really helpful to understand about people, like our concept of humility. It's, it's a key aspect of how one learns. So is one, does one like to receive criticism? Is one, does one, is one less receptive of criticism? Is one, um, more receptive to new and different ideas? Or does one, does one prefer um, to think about their own ideas rather than kind of engage in other different ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And so our concept of humility is useful. There's also a concept of self-monitoring. We call it agility, which Brian talks about in his book. And it can be profoundly useful um, construct to understand about people and how they operate uh, in context. And so beyond the big five, there are other nuances that are really useful to understand about people. Lastly, what we did was we tried to make, take the most practical elements of the Big Five construct. So we built Principles U on Big Five at its foundation because any research-based assessment, almost you can't help but build it on Big Five, but any research-based assessment will likely start from there. But we tried to take a more practical lens so people could actually receive the personality feedback, their profile, in a way that they could use to develop. So as an example, we have, there's openness to experience as a construct in Big Five. We make it creative orientation. Everybody has known for a long time that openness to experience has a relationship to the tendency to pr pursue creative endeavors, but we took really the more creative oriented aspect of that. Originality, your tendency to, to pursue original thinking, non-conformingness, et cetera. There are a few others as well um, that we, uh, that we created some related constructs for. Um, as an example, agreeableness, we divide into nurturingness and toughness. 
which have a relationship but are actually mostly orthogonal, right? which means they're independent. You can see their agreeableness is a general tendency towards warmth, friendliness, well, agreeableness. Tough and nurturing gets at those core aspects, but actually when we look at how people behave, it tells a lot more about how they're likely to interact with others. Are they likely mm -hmm. to actually be direct? Do they, are they very sensitive to people's emotions in a particular context or less sensitive to particular emotions? So we tried to take a very practical bent on some of the core uh, big five constructs. Yeah, it's, I think it'll be of interest if you could talk about what a trait is. Yeah. And, and then just go through, you know, briefly or whatever way you want, ocean. And because there's five, five traits there, right? Yep. But principles you as 17 traits that you yep. have defined and you brought in all this expertise and experience from things. And, and if you could, I, I think it's really useful to think about the cognitive style, applying style, uh, you know, those things, if you could kind of give a sense of the difference Absolutely. between the two. Yeah. Great. Great. So, um, so yeah, so when psychologists, on, and I want to say again, I'm not a psychologist by background. I, I work with a lot of psychologists and, and know a lot about kind of these particular assessment constructs. But psychologists understand personality in terms of traits, and traits are essentially patterns of thought, feeling, and action. But what we mean by that is they're really like your, your, the way we measure your traits is really trying to get at your nat, your most natural state, essentially your comfort zone, right? And so when we think about our traits, the easiest way is maybe to think about extroversion as an example. That's an orientation. It has a basis in the brain, in our neuropsychology. We could talk about that if, if, if there's interest, but, but basically it, it's a core orientation towards the circumstances, the context that we confront in our lives. So is somebody more likely to prefer certain elements of a particular environment or not, right? It doesn't mean we can't operate a different way, right? And so somebody who's introverted biogenically by nature can enact extroverted behaviors. They can, they can be in a so highly stimulating social situation. They can lead a group conversation. It will just be different for them because of that preference, but because of that core orientation. So often we distinguish between traits, which are our core orientation, almost like our most natural state. Some people say like our, our hand, our handedness, our, whether we're right or left hand dominant mm -hmm. um, versus our behavior, which is actually how we show up in context. And those things have a relationship, a predictive probabilistic relationship, but not a deterministic relationship. And that's a lot of the coaching and growth we we uh, we see using personality awareness is how do we use our understanding of ourselves to actually show up in the ways that are most effective in the context that demand that of us. Yeah, so that's good, and I want to just highlight a, a practical example of that. So, sure. just to be clear, a trait is a biogenic, right? Bio biogenetic biogenic uh, tendency that is kind of like if you're right or left-handed, it's your preference. Mm -hmm. It's a strong preference. Can be and they stronger. don't change much over time. This is and they don't change much over time. They really, yeah. they or and if they do, it's really an expected way. So they're quite. We call it stable. They're quite stable over time, and we actually construct our personality assessments to 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 measure the stability. And if it's a good instrument, it's shown to be stable over time. Stable over time, and and independent of gender and culture. Also, right. yeah, yeah. And so we have these biogenic tendencies or traits, and 
but they're not, as you said, and I want to just highlight the word deterministic. In other words, your trait is not your fate. Right. <laughs> I just right. made that up. I thought that was pretty good creativity. <laughs> <on my part. laughs> but I'm sure you've used it before. But yeah, Brian uh, actually says that sometimes. So it's that's does he? Yeah, maybe I picked it up from him. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so and it gets at the and he, he gives a great example about himself, Brian Little, who was on the podcast, I believe, last year, where you know he's a very deep introvert. And as a result, he was also one of the most uh, sought after and uh, uh, loved lecturers at Harvard because he gave he gives great talks. But he's so introverted that the energy required that is not natural for him to give that talk is so draining that afterwards he would retire to the bathroom in a stall and sit down to recover. Exactly. To recover. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a perfect example of kind of our strong tendencies, but we can, they're not deterministic, but they they are they're something that you can navigate around. Exactly. And so yeah. tendency is a good way of looking at a trait. Yeah. And Right. Yep. And, you know, one of the things I love is this concept of free trading. And I, I think I just highlighted that. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit relative to our biogenic traits. Yeah. And so so we so Brian actually is really coined this term and has researched it a lot. And it's a profoundly useful term, I think, probably useful concept in understanding people is a free trade is when we act. Out of, out of character, essentially, out of accordance with our core tendencies, when we enact behaviors that are contrary to them. So, like you described, Brian, who's an introvert by nature, uh, enacting extroverted behaviors like operating in a highly stimulating environment, um, being extremely vocal, leading, leading a group lecture or professing, as he would say, you know, that was out of character for him, less natural for him. That's what enacting free trades uh, means. And what we have to understand about free trades is we all do this. We all do this. There are agreeable people for the entire month of March, Brian says sometimes, who have to, who have to act disagreeable to get the right care for their child or mother in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It impacts them. There are some people for whom that would be more natural and there's some people for whom that will be less natural. That's our traits operating. Those are the dynamics around our traits. But we're all required to do this at times. And so the question is, how do we do it in a way that's sustainable? How do we do it in a way that enhances our well-being and effectiveness rather than long-term, rather than takes away from it? There's growing evidence that, that enacting free trade behavior, acting out of character, can, can be compromise our well-being and sometimes even physical and emotional health in, in, a, in a very literal sense, while at the same time advancing it, while at the same time acting in service of our core projects. And so core projects like out of love for my child or out of love for my family, what do I need to do to express that? So that's when we talk about the, the, the impact of coaching, the impact of our own self-awareness. It's really an how do we do that in a way that's well managed so we don't burn out, so we don't cause too much stress, so we can show up in the most effective ways? Another interesting fact about free trades is most often, and this is kind of, I think, based on Brian's research, is people describe enacting free trades, acting out of character, out of for two reasons love and professionalism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
very useful insight that we're driven towards acting out of character, often through love and professionalism. And those are main major motivators of us flexing our behavior, um, shaping our behavior to suit the environment we're in. Yeah. Okay. So there, I really want to highlight it, the principles here because they're so important. Um, so we have biogenic traits. We have the opportunity to enact free traits. But if we do too much free trading in the service of stuff that we're not interested in or care about, that this can be detrimental to our long-term uh, emotional and physical health. And, uh, you know, so that's where the personal projects come in because now you've got a, a, a paradigm by which to make decisions. You know, what's important to you? Is it worth it to you to act out of character, as you say, or adopt free traits in the service of a personal project that's important to you? Because then it has meaning. And that's rather now, abstract. Way, the example you were talking about, being a professor is a core project for Brian. For Brian, that's right. And yeah. so that he, he's not, he's done an examination about how he can do that sustainably. Initially, he bumped into it in a way that was uncomfortable for him and yeah. now developed techniques to be able to pursue that core project, but in a way that actually is sustainable for him. Doesn't it's sustainable, out, it yes. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's I, I on a personal level, I experienced this without knowing anything about this. Uh, when I retired from clinical practice, I became a house husband. And for somebody with a strong extroversion tendency like myself, I mean, I remember thinking, uh, this is going to kill me. You know, I'm going to be home alone, sitting in the house. My wife is at work. You know, the kids are at school. And what the hell is going to happen here? I'm going to die. Uh, but I turned my attentions. My nurturing score is very high. But I turned my attention to taking care of the kids and baking, you know, banana bread and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it, I, I, I learned so much, but I found ways to take care of myself in the midst of heavy free trading like that as a house husband. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But that's that's the kind of thing that this is so powerful. Once you see the landscape of this paradigm, I mean, it gives you an operational basis for living, really. I mean, literally, I, I don't feel like I'm exaggerating there at all. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think you are. And I think even in, in that example, I imagine people can reflect on their own lives and think about the context in which they've been stressed, the context that in which they've been most comfortable, least comfortable, mm -hmm. how those dynamics are playing out on a day to day basis. And if you even have tools to reflect on how do our traits shape our projects, but also how do our projects enable us, sometimes force us to act in and out of character? And how do we manage that in the best way? If you even have some language to talk some about language. It, yes. some language, it can be yeah. hugely, hugely impactful because it's, it's actually what's happening all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the power of principles you because it really does give you the good language for this and the, the setup. And, and speaking of principles you, if you could kind of Give us a land, give us a lay of the land of the traits and the three categories that you parse those out into yeah. and, and, so, and I, why it's so practically useful. Yeah. And so principles you has really the, 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 the basic report has kind of three sections. One is archetypes. One is our traits, which are divided into three orientations. And one is a section called you in context. And all of most of the insight is in those traits, those 17 traits, um, as Michael said, and there are facets underneath. So um, most of the traits are comprised of three facets. And so the way you can think about it is you answer questions, 
those build up to facets and traits like extroversion as an example. And then those are categorized in three orientations, cognitive, interpersonal, and motivational. And so you really get a picture of how you prefer to think, cognitive, how you prefer to interact with others, interpersonal, and how you apply yourself, where you're driven from, your values, motivational. And so you get a very rich picture. But what we discovered is that while certain psych psychologists love traits, that's what we were talking about earlier, about the, the academic nature of just a list of traits relative to the practicality. And so we found that it's hard for people to interpret, summarize a pattern of, of 17 traits. It's actually 41 personality scales and say, how does this apply to my life? And so archetypes can help with that. So our archetypes are different from other typologies that you might have seen are really just a behavioral or role-based summary of a pattern of traits. And we have 28 and you get your top three and bottom two because yeah, 28, archetypes, 28, 28 archetypes, 28 archetypes, yeah, yeah 28 yeah. archetypes, you have 28 archetypes and you get your top three and bottom two because nobody is just one thing or another. And the idea is that that paints a general, but um, broader picture for you of the pattern of traits and some of the deeper, most underlying aspects um, that come out of your personality profile. So that's another helpful lens. What we've tried to give is multiple lenses of personality. The last section is called You in Context, and that's where we try to give some advice, guidance about how your traits, the relationship between them might play out in context. And so people find each of those sections useful to dig into. Um, what I what I like to think of it is is like a treasure hunt, and you find different ways, different different gems that you can anchor to. And even if ever not everything, you'll you'll typically find a handful that are not just useful to reflect on, but often useful to share with others. It gives you language to talk about yourself in ways that mm -hmm. are productive mm -hmm. and safe, non-threatening, as an example, with others. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you talked about the the third part of it, and I just want to highlight that it's so useful. So you have the the third part is how you respond to different situations. And it's very specific. Uh, you know, you go through your traits and then the topics that are covered in how you respond to different situations are when interacting with others, you, and then there's a whole bunch of things. When planning, you. When solving problems, you. As a leader, you. When setting goals, you. On a team, you. So all these really, this is where the pedal hits the metal for me because, and when I provide people that I coach with this information, I really highlight these things to, you know, put this in your head and get it embedded so you're aware of how it's coming out, you know? Yeah, completely. Yeah. completely. Extraordinarily that useful. Was the, that was the intent. That was the intent, again, along the lines of trying to create something that was robust, but also able to be used practically in service of one's own personal development. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've talked about the components now. Oh, are there any particular traits or patterns that you would say are strongly associated with uh, thriving, uh, fulfillment, resilience, wellness, uh, whatever term you want to apply to it? Yeah. Either associated either in a positive or a negative way? Yeah. Um, to be so, aware of. So, the, yeah. so the, no, no, so, so there, is a, there is actually quite a bit of research on this, but it, it gets, the question then is, you know, are traits fakes? And the answer to that is no, right? Yes. And so yeah, I want to be, I want to be thoughtful about that. The, the, the strongest, the traits that have a, the strongest relationship to well-being are um, 
bar composure, we have a trait called composure. It is a, it's an analog to in big five, sometimes they call it stability. Sometimes in a clinical context, they call it neuroticism, emotional reactivity. That's the, is the strongest indicator of work and life satisfaction, essentially. Um, extroversion also has a relationship. There's a, there's a lot of association of extroversion to the experience and seeking of positive emotion as well. Interestingly, in our assessment, nurturingness and humor, humorousness also, humor, humorousness is not just about being funny, it's about oh, the lightheartedness, yeah. how seriously you take things, how serious intense versus joyful and lighthearted. Interestingly, those um, show a positive relationship to work and life satisfaction. We have others that show, you know, some negative relationship too. Creativity is one, I won't go in, into that, but, you know, there's some hypothesis around the, the, the feeling of constrained, a lot of people who have a highly creative orientation feel constrained a lot by their environments. So anyway, there's interesting questions there, but the most important question is what really determines work and life satisfaction? And we find that having the awareness to be able to manage your traits and in context is critical, hmm. critical. And so Wherever you fall, well, of course, it can give you uh, it can give you have some relationship to your likelihood to feel certain kinds of positive or negative emotions in context. It's really people can make a lot of progress by being aware of that and managing what's likely to help have them experience positive and negative um, emotions. And so that really is the work we do. And I would say the most important thing, the question, are there fates beyond traits the answer is absolutely yes right yeah yeah and what i love about this is that this process is empowering to individuals <clears throat> instead of feeling like you're at the mercy of the world and and sometimes yourself right i totally. mean you it gives you a construct that really allows you it, it's it's a very empowering very and, empowering and and wherever and it's not judgment so high or low is not good or bad no yeah. personality has different aspects and there are strengths and potential um, growth opportunities associated with wherever you fall the people who who maximize their well-being and effectiveness most over time are the people who reflect on those things and actually do something about them yeah and you know i have this paradigm of you know being your best self and what are the components that allow you to be your best self as you know it and the first of that is the first of the four quadrants is self-awareness, you know, to really understand yourself. And this is the, by far the best tool, uh, in my opinion, for that. And then the other one is habits, you know, sleep and exercise, purpose and connections with others. But I, I view self-awareness as being the, the the keystone element of this entire enterprise. I love I love I love that. And I totally agree. I mean, you can even say I can't imagine how without self-awareness you can kind of you can you can put yourself on a path that's most consistent with what you want most consistent with yeah your and there's a lot of one there's a lot of research on this so it's not huge amount top, like huge yeah, amount of research right. on this but yeah. it's just logical also like how could you how could you make informed choices about your own life without that kind of awareness right correct and yeah. so the awareness allows us to make choices that are most consistent with our long-term well-being and effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, and we have a lot of choices associated with that. So we may as well invest in making them well, right? That's Absolutely. kind of the premise, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just on a side note here, I feel that this kind of self-awareness and knowing what makes you tick, so to speak, 
is uh, the key to a fulfilling life uh, mm -hmm. rather than just a successful life. Uh, and you mentioned Ray's, you know, principle of meaning work, meaningful work and meaningful relationships. And that comes about by understanding yourself fully to the best of your ability. And that informs your purpose in life, you know, so it's a it's a branching big tree, but it all starts with really understanding what makes you tick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 um that's what we say is human flourishing is uh consists in the sustainable pursuit of core projects. What that means is the sustainable mm -hmm. pursuit of things that are most important to us. And what you're like, your personality is is critical to understand in terms of actually actually in, in enabling engaging in that sustainable pursuit of the thing yeah yeah so and i think that word sustainable right. needs to be underlined <laughs> yeah totally. yeah totally. and, and yeah. another and maybe there's just one little side tangent too not side tangent but it's we work with a, another we've worked for a long time with another psychologist who's actually more less a personality psychologist more developmental psychologist at harvard who's a luminary in this space named Bob Keegan. He's an adult developmental mm -hmm. And he has this, he he shared with me one time really a useful insight. And so, and he said, you know, people, people often associate burnout with the amount of pain, burden, challenge you feel. And he's like, that's actually not it. What the the amount, what the the burnout is associated to is not the actual total amount of pain or challenge, but the amount of pain, challenge, burden relative to progress. So actually, if people can learn, if people can use their experiences, their understanding of what they're like to learn and improve their circumstances, improve systematically their ability to engage in their work and life in more and more productive ways, they can tolerate a lot of challenge. In an absolute sense, it's empowering. It's, it's empowering. empowering. It's that yes. equation that we want to get right. It's yeah. not okay, how much yeah. challenge or difficulty do I face in my life. It's how do I take a perspective on that because we're all going to face it. Take a perspective on that challenge and difficulty that actually leads me to create progress in the things I'm going after. Yeah, and personality tools, self understanding, self awareness. I think we're 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 agreeing is really critical to that. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. That's great. Well, we're getting close to the end, and I, I'd like to touch on an important topic for our our world of cardiothoracic surgeons, and that is teamwork and principles us and where that's heading. Um, you know, I I have to say, and I, I I I think it's slowly starting to change, but the world of surgery and cardiothoracic surgery has typically been one of islands of self sufficiency. You know, you're you're the surgeon, you build your practice, you do your thing. And and yes, you're in a department or a division, but is it really functioning as a team? You know, is it really functioning as a team? And what does that mean to really function as a team? So I'd like your perspective on that. And I think that there's massive opportunity for my colleagues to be utilizing something like Principles Us, which you're in development on, mm -hmm. to bring better understanding of our colleagues and create and foster much better teamwork, which will be better for them on a personal level and their sense of well-being and engagement and personal relationships, but also for the for the specialty, you know, ultimately. So I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on that. Oh, absolutely. And and one of the core um 
purposes of our creating this product was to go beyond some product to just focus on the individual. We have a really robust picture of the individual, but we really wanted to go beyond the individual to interpersonal relationships and teams because of how useful this insight is in that context. And almost, if you can imagine, um, we do this little exercise with, with, uh, with teams we work with. We start with almost kind of a, feels at first like a silly icebreaker, but it's not. And we, we put up these images and we say, okay, how many people do this? And one of the images is like talking elevators, right? And, and then we say, okay, how many people don't like when other people do this? Not to create tension right away and half the room raise their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people organize or color code their closet? And it's like half the people raise their hand and half the people, it's like implausible. Like, how could you possibly? Yeah, how, what the hell? What the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so these are funny things, right? But what it shows us is one, our personality actually impacts a lot of our behavior, including behaviors we consider trivial. Mm -hmm. Two, the more important thing is we all see things through our uh, own eyes, often through the lens of our personality, mm -hmm. to the point that in the worst case, particularly in high pressure situations, um, but in, in, in situations broadly, is we don't, we're not aware enough of that. And we almost have a tendency to judge others for it. Oh, how could they possibly think that way? They must all the time. They must be crazy. Yeah, leads to arguments, right. leads to arguments, like almost like the person is trying to frustrate you rather than what the truth is. I would say the truth nine and a half times out of 10, you know, there's always an increment, but most, the vast majority of time we see the truth is they actually see things differently. They're actually operating based on a different set of needs, a different set of desires that they have, a different orientation to the situation. And so once you realize that, you can use a personality tool to what we call step above it to actually then with curiosity say, oh, why might that be occurring? And how can I use my understanding of how we see things both similarly and differently to just be most productive in how we work together? And so it moves the conversation from one person seeing one thing to another, butting heads as an mm -hmm. in the worst case, in an argument, in, in even worse case, ending a relationship. You know what I mean? To, yeah. okay, how do we simply use this insight to collaborate most effectively together? And that is kind of the foundation for effective relationships out in and outside of work, I believe. Then once you accept that, there are so many interesting dynamics that a tool like Principles Us can show you because you can see your whole team. You can see, for example, your whole team has a certain set of overall tendencies. And then, but there are people who are different in the team. There are always a couple individuals who are different in the team. Okay, how might they help us balance? Where, where might those tendencies lead us to a strength and also a potential gap where those people might help us balance? What's those folks' experience of our team, as an example, right? Are those people able to be their best selves in the context of the team, right? Um, often you find that insights, personality dynamic insights can reveal very obvious ways of very obvious techniques to engaging more productively together that were under the surface prior to that. Right. So that's well that under the surface. Yeah. Well under the surface. Right. Yeah. And there's another added benefit here because if people understand each other and what makes them tick and you're in a team situation to be able to leverage somebody's particular strengths, personality profiles, whatever, it serves the team potentially profoundly. It creates more understanding and compassion between each other. But the spin-off 
it seems to me, is by utilizing somebody's strengths and talents as manifested by the principles you, that's an, when they do that, it's energy giving. I mean, yes. it's as you say, it's their natural tendency. It's their right hand. And they're going to be a lot happier at work. They're going to be a lot happier at home, wherever they yeah. are. Totally. So it's they it's can, a big deal. They can be themselves in a sense, in a way yes. that's, that's yeah. meaningful. And so yeah. we, we say, we talk about how um, the best teams are ones that are interact with empathy, awareness, and form skill. And the empathy, like, it, it actually goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. We want to help use these tools to help move people from... Um, self-awareness, lack of awareness, to self-awareness and other awareness, awareness of those around them, to also even some amount maybe of self-disclosure. Can we talk about these things? Can we interact in more authentic ways? And if you can do that, it enhances the health of the team. By um, far. By by far. Um, far. One of the other things Bob Keegan talks about is he says, you know, in most organizations, people are doing two jobs their actual job and the job of thinking about all the ways in which they're perceived and they're screwing up and this and that. What if you could eliminate that second job a little bit? It's liberating. It's empowering. Really liberating. It requires you to change some core aspects of yourself, just the feeling of being understood by your team rather than being misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. Fought against in a certain sense. Yeah, yeah. That can be truly liberating for people in a work context absolutely um, and and have real second and third order benefit yeah again on the bottom line like people are spending a lot of time and energy on that second job right yeah for sure you know in wrapping up i'd like your thought on this and i've i've come to the conclusion you know people talk about authenticity a lot right and oh it's just me being myself and i get to say whatever i want or whatever and you know i've been questioned about that but i've I've come to think of authenticity as actually understanding yourself and then manifesting that in a way that is productive for you and other people. Uh, is that an accurate statement? I just rattled that off. That's, yeah, that's exactly how we think about it. And so, yeah, when we get into the authenticity conversation, people often, you know, like it often gets into this little rabbit hole. Of, well, oh, should, so should people just act out their personality and not worry about it? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, as an example, I'm highly extroverted. And so um, I have a weakness around talking too much, not letting others, uh, not letting others mm-hmm. speak, speak enough, not drawing out from others, interrupting people. Is that effective? No, right? Mm-hmm. So my, yes, I'm authentically extroverted, but it's really my awareness of that and my using that understanding most productively to get what I want. That's productively. Really yes. yeah. Right? It's not yeah. as no one had, would ever suggest and should ever suggest, okay, let's just behave how we yeah. are, whether it takes us closer or further to our goals. It's right. that insight to take us closer to our goals, right? Yeah. Uh, Zach, this is great. And I, I hope it, I'm sure it provided a, an excellent overview of this. I consider it to be a very comp- complicated environment, you know, the personality tests and and that, but it's, it's so powerful. I, I view it as one of the most important topics uh for our for our listeners you know to yeah. get a handle on and, and I, if, I, I, if, hope it, I hope it did and just the last thing i could say is it's not about a judgment or not a judgment it's this tool the most important uh the most important intent of this tool is can it help start a productive conversation with yourself and potentially with other people and so that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. it's really the start of a conversation but but 
it can be a very, very important conversation in terms of the journey towards finding well-being and effectiveness. I mean, in any context you need to find it. So I hope people do try it out and I hope people did find the overview helpful. Yeah. And just where they can find the principles you and anything else that you recommend yep. here? Yeah, you can you can take it as we said, one of our one of our goals was to provide a high quality assessment that usually comes at a very high cost with no cost barrier. And so you can take it for free at principlesu.com. Then there's enhanced set of an enhanced set of features for teams and organizations at principlesus.com. Uh, and uh, and you can go to both of those sites. And if you want, there's a support page. You can shoot questions to us if you have any questions. Um, we have a team on staff to answer those and uh, and just try it. I'd suggest try it out. I think it's a uh, it's it's now been taken by over two million people, uh, and and most people have really found it. Highly, highly useful in 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 uh, enabling productive self reflection, which is ultimately our goal. So. Yeah, and I, I recently became certified as a Principles View coach, and I just to relate my 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 personal vignettes. I've had everybody in the family take it, uh, you know, and multiple other people, and they are shocked at how accurately this portrays them. But it's really valuable to have some coach. And one of the things that's nice about the Principles View site is that you have an ability to hire a coach through that site yep. because they can do a debriefing and really help navigate, help you navigate through the, through the results and, and provide much further insights than, than you can get just reading it on your own. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so, well, thank you so much for your time, Zach. I really appreciate it. But most importantly, thank you for all the work and bringing this, what I consider to be an incredible uh, tool to the world at large, uh, to you yeah. and Ray and Adam and Brian. I mean, what a what a thing you've done and what a team, you know. So yeah, well, it's 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 my absolute pleasure speaking to you, um, partnering with you, Michael, and also sharing this broadly. Our our goal is to essentially democratize or yeah. scale these insights to anyone for whom they would be useful. And so yeah, that's it's great. Part of that process for us. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Zach. All right. Thanks so much, Michael. This has been The Resilient Surgeon, a podcast brought to you by the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and let your friends, trainees, and colleagues know about it. On social media, you can use the hashtag BeYourBestSelf. More information about the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is available online at sts.org.